Many of you know that one of my favorite TV shows is Ted Lasso. My wife, Rachel, and I have enjoyed this one, along with a number of other shows on Apple TV+. But the more we've watched these shows, the more we've began to notice something. How often the characters are using Apple products. The use of iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, AirPods seems somewhat excessive at times. And I'm not the only one. A Wall Street Journal reporter recently found out that in one episode of Ted Lasso, which was 29 minutes long, there were 36 shots of Apple products. That's more than one every minute. And perhaps, more interestingly, Apple never puts its products in the hands of people that we might term bad guys, like Joe in Mythic Quest, who uses an unbranded laptop when everyone else is using MacBooks. Or, or Bradley's estranged father in The Morning Show who has a generic flip phone when everyone else has iPhones. Now, I'm sure you see what's going on here. There's some subliminal messaging that's coming across to us. Bad people use the other guys, good people use Apple, and you're a good person, so you should use Apple. Now, this isn't something new. This is the water we swim in every single day. It's estimated that the average person in the US is exposed to between 6,000 and 10,000 adverts every single day. And what's behind this? Well, as Dave Ramsey says, marketers are trying to get you to buy stuff you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like. <laughs> and at the heart of it all is something we call coveting. Coveting is desiring to possess something that isn't ours. And incidentally, coveting is one of the Ten Commandments. You, you sound up covet, Exodus says, your neighbor's house, wife, servant, ox, donkey, phone, car, clothes, jewelry, or golf clubs. Actually, those last few aren't in there. But the words anything that belongs to your neighbor are. But how bad is it really? I mean, even if you're on the diet, you can still look at the menu, right? Well, today's story from the book of Joshua is going to tell us otherwise. Sin as one member of my life group put it this Friday, has drastic consequences, and we need to take drastic measures to avoid it. Good morning, and welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Ellis. I'm the pastor of weekend, uh, weekend services. I was the pastor of weekend services. I'm the pastor of creative ministries. So glad that you're joining us, whether you're in, I don't even know what job I do. <laughs> Keeps changing every six months. We're continuing our study through the book of Joshua in a series that we're calling Not Your Fight. We're following the people of Israel over 3,200 years ago as they seek to enter and take the land that God has promised them. Last week, we heard about how the people of Israel fought the battle of Jericho, or rather, as we heard from Pastor Larry, Jesus fought the battle of Jericho. This week, though, Things are looking a little bit different for the people of Israel. So we're picking up the story in Joshua 7. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Your phone, you can open that up. It'll also be on the screen underneath me here. We're in Joshua 7, starting in verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. 
Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So the people of God have entered this promised land, the land that God is going to give them, the land of Canaan. They have secured the city of Jericho, as we heard last week. And Joshua quickly moves on to take the next city in their path, the city of I. But something goes wrong. They are defeated. And Joshua, we read in the next few verses, is distraught. He tears his clothes, he he falls down on his face, and he cries out to God, Why, God? Why? I thought you were giving us this land. Why have we been defeated? Now, we might be tempted to think, based on the verses we just read, that the reason they were defeated was because of overconfidence. They didn't send enough men into the battle. But actually, that's not the reason that they were defeated. As we find out when we keep reading, drop down to verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. The Lord reveals to Joshua the real reason why the people of Israel were defeated. They had stolen They had lied, and they'd taken some of the devoted things. You see, when Israel fought against Jericho, the Lord commanded them not to take any plunder for themselves from the battle. They were instead to devote to destruction all that was in the city. However, this didn't happen. Israel took some of those devoted things for themselves. And as a result, the Lord said, Israel is now devoted for destruction. The Lord allowed them to reap the consequences of their disobedience. Now, one of the hardest things in in parenting is disciplining your kids. Am I right, parents? Figuring out how to discipline your kids is one of the most difficult things that we encounter. I, I don't know if you remember me telling you, but in the early days of the pandemic, we were hosting a Zoom life group. And in the midst of this, Rachel, my wife, and I, we we heard a commotion going on from our kids upstairs. So I I went upstairs to check and see what was going on, and I find that this had happened to my daughter's school-supplied Chromebook. My son had thrown something at it from across the room and smashed the screen. And so we knew we we had to discipline our kids. And so since my son had broken a screen, we thought that the right consequence would be to remove screen timer, a natural consequence. That's how we so often try to discipline our kids, to teach them that actions have consequences. But this situation with the people of Israel and the discipline of the Lord, it doesn't feel like a natural consequence, does it? They took the city of Jericho, and then instead of devoting to destruction all the plunder— They took a few things. Surely that's not that big of a deal, right? Okay, it wasn't okay. But did it really warrant the Lord causing them to lose the next battle? Did it really warrant the deaths of 36 soldiers? 
That seems kind of disproportionate, don't you think? Well, if you think that's bad, wait until you hear what happens next. Joshua puts out the word to the people that they need to consecrate themselves and get rid of the devoted things from among them. And then the next day, the Lord commands Joshua to bring forward all the people and then to select the tribe that the Lord tells him, then the clan that the Lord tells him, then the household that the Lord tells him. And he does all of this and he selects the household of a man named Achan. And Joshua asks Achan, what have you done? To which Achan responds, verse 20, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So some messages were sent to corroborate Achan's confession. They find the coat, the silver, the gold. They bring them back to Joshua. And now I don't know what you're expecting to happen at this point, but this may shock you. Verse 24, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor, which means trouble. This, yes, even this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, like I said, shocking, right? Achan coveted, and he took a coat, a few silver things, and a bar of gold. He hid them in his tent, and he only came clean when there was no other option. And as a result, his whole household and all his livestock and possessions were stoned and burnt. It just feels so disproportionate, right? Surely there could have been another way. What about his sons and daughters? Why were they included? How is this just? This week, a friend of mine sent me a photo of his neighbor's deck. As you can see, it has suffered a tremendous amount of water damage. And normally in front of that beam, there would be a piece of siding or cladding that that would cover over what you see right now. And with that siding on, you would believe there's nothing wrong with the deck. And yet inside, it's absolutely rotten. I think this is a picture of the effect of sin on our lives. Even little sins are like the little drops of water that plagued that deck. The rot in that deck didn't happen overnight, but over a period of many, many years. And our lives are the same. If we continue to let sin drip, drip, drip into our lives, we will rot from the inside out. 
But it's just a white lie, you might say. It, it doesn't hurt anyone, you might say. It's, it's just a little thing, you might respond. And yet, it was all those little sins put together that nailed our Savior to the cross. It was those little sins, drip, drip, dripping into our lives that crucified our Christ. Sin, a little thing, the wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin are drastic. Sin is serious business. Just like water in that deck. You know, in Joshua chapter 7, it was Achan's sin that caused Israel to be defeated at Ai. It was his sin that caused his whole family to die. And I think that we think it's unjust because we don't have a correct view of sin. We think of sin as a little thing. But sin is serious business. Sin has drastic consequences. And not only is sin serious business for each one of us, sin is also serious business for all of us put together. This passage shows us that not only the individual consequences of sin are drastic, but the corporate consequences of sin are also drastic. What do I mean by that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, my wife and I have been enjoying watching Apple TV+. And one show, other than Ted Lasso, that we've enjoyed is The Morning Show. Season one follows the story of a lead anchor for a major network's morning news show who has been fired for sexual misconduct. Now, what's gradually revealed over the course of the first season is the depths to which people within the, the whole organization were complicit in allowing such misconduct to take place. It does an incredible job of showing how what may appear from the outside to be only one person's sin can also be the sin of countless other individuals. Now the same, I believe, is true for any collective group of people, a family, a business, a church, a nation, anywhere where there are people connected together in some way. Sin is serious business, not just for us individually, but for us corporately, all together. That's why Israel lost the battle at Ai, when only one person had sinned. God held Israel corporately responsible for the presence of sin in their midst. And that's why Achan's household were a part of the punishment. They were complicit in his sin. They knew what he had done, but they didn't come forward. Sin is serious business, not just for us individually, but also for us corporately. And that's the bad news. But it's also good news. If one man's sin Achan's sin can bring condemnation on a whole nation. That means the opposite is also true. And that's what we see in this story. When Achan received punishment for his sin, it says the Lord relented from his 
anger. One man's punishment brought about deliverance for the whole nation. And in the next chapter, they go on to take the city of Ai to be victorious in that same battle that they had just lost. And just as one man receiving the due penalty for sin can set a whole nation free all those years ago, so for us, one man receiving the penalty for our sin sets us all free. The 1,200 years after Achan was killed, another man was killed. Yet while Achan was guilty, this man was innocent. In fact, this man was the only innocent man who ever lived, Jesus. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, took upon himself the due penalty for our sin, death. One man died that many might be saved. Jesus died the death that we all deserve to die so that we all could get to live the life that he alone deserved to live. He exchanged places with us. He was our substitute. It was our sin that put him there on that cross, and he gladly bore it, knowing that by his punishment, we would find peace with God. The penalty for our sin has been dealt with once and for all at the cross of Jesus Christ. Sin is serious business, but the business deal is done. Jesus has paid the price for our sin, and instead we get his life. Amen? Amen. And if that is the case, if that is the case, if it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross, if sin has such drastic consequences as to cause the death of our Savior, then we must take drastic measures to avoid it. We should run a mile from sin when we see it. If the Holy Spirit this morning is bringing to light something in your life that you know you need to confess of, you need to repent, to turn away from, and you need to receive that forgiveness of Jesus for, then I want to invite you to do that here today. Don't leave this place before you've brought that before the Lord and received his forgiveness for that. We're going to do that in a moment. Make space to do that to confess and then receive the Lord's pardon. But before we do that, I want us to consider if we need to repent of the same sin as Achan, the sin of coveting. I might dare say that coveting is the most ubiquitous sin in our culture. I think it's the most widespread sin in our culture. As I mentioned earlier, we are bombarded every single day with false truths from marketers telling us that that we will be happy if we only have this product or that service, that our life would be better off, that we deserve it, and we fall for it. And I think this is the one area of my life where if you were to look really closely, you would see little to no difference between how I covet and how my non-Christian neighbors covet. I'm afraid that I may be no different to the rest of the world in this respect. That this part of my life does not represent the call to follow Jesus, but rather represents the call of the Western world. I don't think I'm alone in this. I don't want that to be the case. I want to live a distinctive life. I want to be salt and light in this world. This is sin. This is the sin of Achan. This is the sin that that put our Savior on the cross. And yet I keep going back to it. 
So if you find yourself there, if you find yourself trapped in the sin of coveting, just like me, what can we do? What can we do? I have three quick suggestions. Stop spending, covet Christ, and give gratefully. First, stop spending. What if for one month you only spent money on essentials? No non-essential purchases. You see, when we buy stuff, when we buy the things that we covet, we feed the cycle. We feed the monster inside of us that says, I need that, and I need that, and I need that, and I need that. If for 30 days we stopped buying the things that we coveted, I wonder what changes we might notice. Now, you're going to need to decide what's essential for you, but generally we're talking food, clothing, shelter, and transportation. If we said no to fulfilling our desires for things for the next 30 days, I think we might be surprised at how this changes us. So I thought I'd try it. I did it in September. And I can tell you that by the end of the month, I wanted very different things than I wanted at the beginning of the month. I saw through the the facade of what I was being sold. I saw that those things didn't make me happy because I wasn't less happy at the end of the month because I didn't have the things. I was changed as a result of giving up, feeding the cycle of the coveting of my heart. So stop spending. Second, covet Christ. We can't just get rid of a desire. Really, this desire for things is, is at heart a, a deeper desire. And we need to, when we sense that desire, that, that, that coveting in our hearts, we need to replace it with a desire for something that's actually going to fulfill us. And what is actually going to fulfill us? Jesus. And one simple way that you can practice this is, is anytime you notice yourself coveting, desiring something, is to repeat a scripture verse, repeat a truth that works against the lie that this culture is selling you. A great scripture verse that you could memorize, you could use. Maybe write this down, Philippians 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, verse 19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Here's how you can use it. When you sense your heart being pulled towards something, say to yourself, God will meet all my needs in Jesus. God will meet all my needs in Jesus. God will meet all my needs in Jesus. Replace that desire. We can't just get rid of a desire. It's there because it's something deeper within us. We need to tap into that deeper desire and find its fulfillment in Christ. So first, stop spending. Second, covet Christ. And third, give gratefully. Now, if you really stop spending, you're going to have some excess money. I was so surprised about how much money we saved in the month of September by only spending on essentials. And so what are you going to do with excess money? Well, I'd encourage you to give at least some portion of it away. If you aren't already giving away a fixed percentage of your income every month, I'd encourage you to try this out in the next 30 days, to stop spending, pick a fixed percentage, maybe it's just a few percent, a small amount, and choose to give it away. Over time, you can work your way up to more and more. And if you're already giving a fixed percentage, consider if you could give more. And we do this out of gratitude. Gratitude to our Savior for what he has done for us. He gave his very life for us. 
we are grateful for the gift and the many blessings that God has given us. And in turn, we can give out of the abundance of what we have. Stop spending, covet Christ, give gratefully. If you find yourself stuck in patterns of coveting, like I do, try these three steps. Just try it for 30 days. See what happens. Imagine what might be different in your life, your family's life. I can tell you more about how it's, how it's changed us. What might be different in, in our church, in our community, if we were not held captive by the covetousness of our hearts, but we were set free to find our desires fulfilled in and through Jesus. Sin has drastic consequences. We need to take drastic measures to avoid it. That's the message of Joshua 7. Sin is serious business. It was serious business 3,200 years ago, and it's serious business today. It was our sin that put our Savior on the cross. But because of that, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. And because it cost Jesus so much, we must flee from the very sight of sin. So we're going to take some time to confess, to repent, and to receive that forgiveness that is ours in and through Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning and we recognize that you are the sinless one. You are holy, holy, holy. And that in you, sin cannot stand. Sin is consumed in your presence because of how pure and holy you are. And in light of that, we come to you in your presence this morning, Lord, and we confess our sins to you, knowing that you have paid the price for them already, that there is no shame, there is no guilt, and that this morning all we have to receive is that forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so we come to you and we confess, Lord, that we have sinned in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, and in what we have failed to do. Let's take a moment right now to make that personal. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you convict us of those areas that we need to repent, to turn away, convict us of the sin in our lives. There's a moment for you to confess to the Lord. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, 
visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another and give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls.